Well, hello, everyone. We're going to get started this January 4th, 2022. It is just 4 p.m. And this is the City of Iowa City Work Session. And uh, I wanted to welcome everyone. We do have two new counselors. So I wanted to welcome Megan Alter and Sean Harmson. Welcome to your first, well, maybe second <laughs> official meeting. And also wanted to congratulate uh, our new mayor pro tem, Megan Alter. So congratulations and looking forward to working with you in your new role. We are going to move on to the first item, which is to discuss meeting protocols. And I'll invite our city manager, Jeff. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, Council, good to be with you tonight. Um, I'm going to be just highlighting the memo that is in your December 30th information packet. That's IP3, uh, starting on page 7 of that packet. I'm just going to kind of walk you through um, that, and then we'll uh, be able to answer questions. Uh, Eric Goers kind of co-authored this memo with me, and is certainly the right one to ask uh, any legal questions or if you need clarifications on legal requirements, uh, I will certainly defer to Eric, but uh, I will do the overview. So the memo uh, first um, uh, talks about public comment um, at city council meetings. And I think you're all familiar with uh, Iowa open meeting laws. Um, the uh, important takeaway there is that the, the, case, the case law when it comes to open meeting laws really just uh, as a minimum requirement uh, says that the, the, the work of the government must be done in open session, right? So uh, it's really the right for the public to observe uh, the, the, the business meetings of the public. Now, there are exceptions to that, uh, namely the public hearings that you see on your agenda. So there are specific items in which you have to allow that public comment, and we note those on your agenda as public hearings. Uh, those uh, commonly are planning and zoning matters, uh, public improvement projects. Uh, you'll be getting into the budget soon. That would require public hearing, uh, multiple public hearings as well. So the minimum requirement is you allow public comment uh, uh, at those public hearings. You, you conduct those public hearings, but you don't have to for anything else. Now, Iowa City has a long tradition, well before my time, of inviting more public comment than, uh, than is minimally required by the uh, Iowa Open Meetings Law. Um, historically, at least in recent history, the council has allowed public comment on any item. You can pub allow public comment on consent items before you vote or on any of the regular agenda items, uh, regardless of whether there's a public hearing or not. Um, you've also offered a public comment period, which allows anybody from the public to come and speak on non-agenda items. Again, that's not a requirement of um, the state law but it's something that uh, Iowa City has historically done. Um, I would say uh, uh, Iowa City uh, is, is probably at or near the, the top of the list when it comes to the, the most liberal public comment policies, right? You can, you can pretty much come to the meeting and talk about anything you want within the rules that the, that the council sets. That's not the norm for government agencies in Iowa. Um, uh, so again, I think historically, uh, Iowa City's been very proud to um, uh, uh, accept uh, that level of public comment. Um, you do, as a council, have the right uh, to um, set rules, um, and, and quoting st uh, state code here, reasonable rules for the conduct of its meetings to assure those are 
orderly and free from interference or interruption by spectators. Okay, that's directly from uh, code. In recent meetings, uh, the council has tolerated um, interruptions and disruptions uh, from uh, uh, stemming from public comment opportunities. In the end, you have the ability to set the rules. When you want that public comment to occur, how you want it to occur, as long as you're setting those reasonable rules and applying them fair and equitably across the board, you have that ability to do that. You do that in limited fashion already, right? You set time limits. Uh, um, you have a time cutoff for public comment. After seven, you have the ability. So you, you, you have the ability to kind of hone in those rules in, in a manner that, uh, that you see fit. Um, to be clear, Council, you, you can't um, cut off speakers because of the content of their speech, right? I mean, if you're going to invite public comment, you have to invite uh, public comment regardless of whether you agree with that or not. So that we're not talking about content-based restrictions here. It's more time and procedure and order uh, that you'd be uh, focused on. Uh, and really, I think that's the, that's the challenge for, for you and really for all government bodies is you've got to find that appropriate balance between um, conducting uh, your meeting. You know, you're all elected to conduct the business of the city. You need to focus on that. You need to decide if you can do that uh, uh, in, in the manner that you need to. You know, are you making the best decisions you can at 11 o'clock at night? That's, that's a question you all have to answer. You have to balance that with the benefit of having uh, the public be able to come before you and speak to agenda items or non-agenda items. Um, uh, we get in the memo to talk about disruptive individuals. Uh, and yes, we can, uh, they, they can be legally removed from the meeting if they're violating those rules and are, and, and are disruptive. Um, uh, that includes uh, individuals who refuse to stop speaking when their allotted time has ended, those that repeatedly speak off topic as determined by the mayor who's running the meeting, or those who interrupt the meeting from speaking from their seat. Um, now again, I think it's important that you, know, you have to make sure those rules are, are well publicized, well known. Uh, there's various ways we do that. We put them on the agenda. We can put them on a screen. We can have handouts at the facility. They can be on the website. But as long as those rules are very clear, you do have the ability to uh, trespass somebody who is being disruptive from uh, your meetings. Uh, and uh, I know many of you pay attention to government matters throughout the state of Iowa. You probably know that Des Moines City Council has grappled with this very issue. And they have indeed trespassed individuals uh, from their council meetings. Uh, and I understand there has been convictions um, for those trespassing uh, charges. So whatever you decide to do, uh, we're here to help you craft those rules. I think, again, you need to kind of have that discussion on, on uh, how you want your council meetings to run. Um, but just know that the rules need to be adopted, they need to be published, and they need to be enforced evenly uh, across the board. Um, I did mention uh, if, if uh, you know, pre-COVID, um, there were additional opportunities uh, that the council created for uh, public comment, and that's just something I think I, I want you to consider, especially as, as a new council just getting started. Um, listening posts were more common where councils would break up into pair of twos and take turns going throughout the community to get that public comment period. Um, we've had um, counselors do door knocking in the past as part of their regular, uh, not just in campaign mode, but, but throughout their tenure, um, attendance at city events, whether it's festivals, party in the parks, things like that. So 
Um, don't just think of council meetings as your only opportunity to get public comment. Um, just keep in mind that uh, pre-COVID we did a lot more of that and, and we could return to that, including offering those in a hybrid type of format um, for those that need that. Uh, so that's a good transition into hybrid meetings. That's the other uh, reason that this item is on the agenda. Uh, certainly you've heard some public comment uh, requesting hybrid meetings. Um, I think Eric shared his opinion that the attorney's office uh, does not believe virtual comments is legally required. It is not legally required. Um, uh, but you have the ability to do that. And we've, we've done hybrid uh, meetings during COVID um, or um, virtual comments uh, during COVID. We can do that, whether that's in this facility um, or back in the council chambers. Um, I can say if you wanted to kind of extend that to all 20 of your boards and commissions, that would be pretty taxing on us. And I'd really need to think about the resources we would need to be able to do that. But uh, to do that for the, the, the city council um, uh, is uh, certainly doable if you want to go down, uh, go down that path. Um, and the last item I just wanted to touch on, it's also been brought up several times in recent meetings, are the transcripts. Um, I just want to make it clear that um, the full verbatim transcripts are not required by law. Um, there are very, very few uh, government entities in Iowa that do for verbatim transcripts. It's a, it's a big undertaking. It's just a time-consuming type of effort. We've always done them, and we'll continue to do them. Um, uh, we do that through a part-time transcriptionist position. We had somebody uh, working in the clerk's office for 20-plus uh, years doing those. Uh, that recently resigned that position and Kelly's been working to get that filled. I believe that is filled now and we're getting the new employee uh, up to speed um, on producing those those uh, uh, lengthy verbatim transcripts. You can imagine what a six hour transcript looks like. Um, those are put out on our web for anybody to see. Um, but we also have audio and video recordings of all our meetings as you're aware. So I wanted to put that out there. That's a summary of the memo that was in, again, your December 30th packet. Uh, any one of us are happy to answer questions and again based on your conversation tonight we can facilitate some draft rules uh, to bring forward if that's the direction you want to go all right thank you so much and I guess I'll kind of just start this conversation uh, one I really appreciate both the city attorney and our uh, city manager for this memo as we know, um, meetings have been a little challenging. And at least for me, the purpose of public meetings and uh, is really to allow for the public to be present and to hear the discussions that council is having. Um, and also to make sure that um, we give opportunity for the public to come and express themselves. The challenge becomes when we have disruption. And that's what we're talking about today. What I would um, advise council to do during this time is to um, reflect on what's happened. I think we have real examples um, that we can really pinpoint. And then Mayor Pro Tem Salee, her last comments to us at her last meeting. That was pretty profound. So 
Um, it was unfortunate <laughs> that she left um, in that manner. So as we continue this conversation, I would just ask council to really prepare. Our, the hope is that we prepare um, the best possible protocols that we can inform the public about ahead of time, give fair warning as to the consequences, because really these meetings are for the good of everybody in our city. Well, I'll, I'll speak first, I think, on the question of the hybrid meetings, because I think that was, um, you know, something that had been, we, we've been hearing from, from the community with regard to the hybrid meetings. And uh, I, I do find it interesting that uh, COVID, in a way, is, is um, you know, challenging and uh, impactful COVID has been. It's also uh, reveal the fact that there are opportunities for the council to hear from the community uh, through that virtual connection uh, that does have significant advantages over attending the meetings in person in that it, it may be difficult for certain members of our community to, to actually access our in-person meetings for a whole variety of reasons. Um, so my observation has been that um, attendance, so to speak, or participation at our meetings was enhanced by the, the hybrid meetings. So I, I would be in support of that. I don't feel it's necessary at all the commissions that serve. Uh, I do feel that um, one, one improvement from what I've seen over the years I've been here is that they are now recorded uh, we have a video recording, uh, and that's an advantage in that prior to that, when I would, and this would be more when I was uh, not serving on council or any commission, uh, be interested in the, you know, the what actually took place at those meetings. Those meetings would be summarized, but they, you wouldn't have actual access to what was specifically said at those meetings. And And so I think it's, it's, as Jeff mentioned, in a way, it it's, provides a way in which we can actually hear the verbatim discussion rather than having it filtered through someone's uh, summary uh, interpretation. Uh, <clears throat> so I think that's an advantage that we have those recordings. I don't feel it's necessary to provide virtual access. Uh, I think insofar as many of these commissions um, uh, make recommendations to council where the council makes the final decision. Uh, there are opportunities now, particularly with the virtual, if we agree to provide it uh, for public comment at the council meetings, uh, if if they should choose to do so. So that's that's my take on the um, on the hybrid meetings. Uh, I would say. And it is true, we, we've also had a tradition, and it is interesting just to hear about all the ways in which Iowa City has provided means of the community to let their voices be heard um, to the council. And um, you know, some of those kind of fell by the wayside during COVID. Once we get back to a more kind of pre-COVID situation, 
you know, I would hope we would re restart some of the things that are mentioned in the memo. And, and I would add to them uh, the idea of town halls. That's something I've always felt um, would provide a, a, a different kind of opportunity for the council and staff to, to have a conversation uh, with the community more in, in their location rather than one you know, centered on, on City Hall uh, and that it would allow for a larger gathering. I think the best example that I can think of along these lines were the, um, what was it, the Speak Out speak events. Up, speak out. Um, those I thought were extremely powerful and um, uh, helpful for me in actually hearing um, those comments at those events and, and also just being there um, in, in this larger s gathering uh, where also those who were in attendance could hear one another. I, I think oftentimes there's this sense of, you know, we're, we're trying to create opportunities for the, for the community to, to speak to the council. I think it's important for the community to have opportunities to speak among themselves and hear what each, each other have to say. Uh, so, so the town halls, I think, are something that we, we might want to consider um, based on the experience we had with the Speak Out events. Um, and then, of course, there's the rules. And, you know, in my time here, it, it, it is interesting. The, the disorderliness that we've been seeing is relatively recent. I mean, in my tenures on commissions and councils, um, you know, I think everyone understood the rules. We didn't have to explicitly state what the rules are. And I think it's really unfortunate that we may be in a situation where those rules do need to be stated. Um, People are sick and they don't understand yeah. unstable yeah. school. Yeah. So, exactly what we're talking about. Um, well, please. <laughs> this is. Please don't interrupt him. Yeah. Oh, Said that. Pauline, keep going. Yes. Keep going. Yeah. So we, we I think Our clearly point exactly. We we need to make it clear what the rules are. Well, I mean I think that we I think of it sorry, do you have more to go? No, I will leave it at that. I I'll sort of start from the from the, the end first, but i in in general I view it as, as something of a decision tree. You know, we if we I'm 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 in favor of doing hybrid, but when I look at the decision tree, the question is, okay, hybrid, then where do we do it? Do we do it here? Do we go back to chambers? If we go back to chambers, which I think most bodies around here are in their chambers, how do we sort of make sure that there aren't too many people in the chambers? Although I suspect that if we're hybrid, it will be, easy, it will be, um, it will be easier for people to, or more, more people will stay home and comment from from their home but i think one reason an additional reason to sort of have a set of whatever we decide the rules are and to state them clearly at every meeting at the outset of every meeting in addition to having them printed and, and in whatever ways is we want to draw more people into local government we want more people to attend and when when new people come who have no experience with it they're going to be puzzled by some of the things that happen. They, no matter what we say, it may be, it, it'll seem strange that people comment during public comment when it's on topics that are not on the agenda, and we don't say anything in return because it hasn't been noticed. 
as a as a topic um, for a public meeting. So I think, what it, however we end up deciding what our rules are, um, I think it it would be really useful for to have a little um, a text that gets read at the beginning of every meeting, essentially to explain in brief um, the, the rules and why they exist. Um, and I have more of it. I would like I'd love to hear what other people have to say. I think that Councillor Thomas uh, spoke really well on the uh, ability of, of having the hybrid meetings, and I agree with him. I think uh, it would be important to do that, um, but I don't think it's intended to um, be offered to all 20 or so commissions. I think uh, as they see fit, they, they can request it if they think they need it. But as he said, that uh, the council's one making final decisions, and that's when it is important to have uh, public comment on that final decision time. Um, I do appreciate um, Eric and, and Jeff um, explaining to us some of the legal considerations for public um, participation in meetings. Uh, my thoughts are that uh, it's a new year, a new council, and we need some new rules that we need to, to strictly follow. We need to um, structure the public comment uh, opportunity time. It's, it's really evident that we need to do that and have some structure and have rules and guidelines for comment times um, posted and followed. And that's a very good idea, Janice, about the beginning of the meetings. That's all. I also agree with um, allowing for the hybrid meetings and appreciate, uh, Councillor Thomas, how you are articulated that. And I think, Councillor Taylor, you're right that if other commissions think that they need that, that they, they can request that or try and make arrangements with staff for that, but not, not that we would mandate it. Um, I do think that the parameters for what public comment is for and having those set forth really intentionally is, is critical because what I've experienced in my just now two years on council is a lot of people come to the meeting purporting to you know want um, a decision from this body on something that's not on the agenda and we cannot do that um, but we don't make it very clear in that exact moment um, and we also don't respond to public comments um, but we have uh, um, you know we have particular items on which we're making determinations where we have let's say an applicant who's asking for a specific thing from the city, that applicant engages in conversation with this body with questions and answers and with staff and it's much more conversational. I can understand how that would be confounding to someone who you know, maybe doesn't have uh, experience with the process that we're undertaking or really what the business of the council meeting is. I really appreciate, um, John, what you said about you know other opportunities it's hard when iowa city has set a very high bar for public engagement and we're trying to find you know more more ways to do it but i think helping educate people that this is the time for the business of the council as noticed as legally required to be noticed and that we really are constrained in the actions that we can take at these meetings and those actions are intended to be and it's structured uh, you know, through the state code and through our ordinances, it's structured what we do at these meetings. And when we have uh, so much engagement that is not on the topic of the business of the city that is before us and legally noticed, it's really hard for us to do our work. And I think that's a disservice to our constituents and to the city as a whole um, when we're kind of drawn, you know, into, into realms that we truly cannot address in that moment. So I just think as far as the parameters 
establishing the rules, communicating them effectively, providing additional opportunities, and just you know communicating the heck out of those. Standing at that podium is probably the one of the worst ways to actually ask us to do something. You know, um, so often it's we aren't the ones who have the expertise to execute on something that someone wants. It should go through staff first because they are the ones who do. Or if uh, it's a person would engage with an individual counselor who can then you know, talk with colleagues, lobby colleagues, uh, talk with staff, see if something can get on the agenda. That's the way sort of the business unfolds. And again, I don't blame anyone for failing to know that because it's not really laid out in one place. As far as the actual rules, I mean, I'm in favor of the continuing with having kind of an end time for the public comment period uh, and having the three minute limit. I don't think we should stop having public comment on all items. I think that is a long tradition. Um, I think we should cut the mics at the end of three minutes and do that consistently. Um, I think the technological option for a hybrid meeting makes that maybe even easier than it does here. Um, but yeah, that, that would be kind of what I would suggest for those parameters. If I may, I want to piggyback on some of what Councilor Burgess said, um, but from a slightly different tack, as I am new sitting in this place looking out, but I've been out there at many meetings and over the several, past several years. Um, have been in the audience or been at the podium to make public comment. And um, it's only over the course of many years of witnessing and kind of figuring it out organically um, what the process is. And I would completely concur that actually coming to council oftentimes is when the decisions are being made about things that have been in conversation for quite some time or that have become a matter of urgency that needs to be decided upon quickly. Um, and even then, there needs to be public input. And for that, I actually very much appreciate the way Iowa City has allowed for that. Um, what I have noticed as someone who has been both pre-COVID and during COVID, throughout Zoom meetings, and then now as well, in the midst of it, um, is that my deep concern and my observation is that, in fact, the passion that I'm seeing um, coming from public comment where there's a repetitiveness and a real desire to be heard, damn the rules, is unfortunately not having the effect that is desired. I feel that, and what I have seen is that there are people who are now disallowed from actually talking about items that they wish to. Um, there are people who actually are probably feeling intimidated to be able to speak out. Um, and so I feel that there is a disservice in place at current at the current moment, because I do agree with absolutely what Councillor Weiner is saying. We want to draw more people in. We want more people engaged in the process. We want more people engaged and committed to work being done. And I do recognize that that has been very much the impulse of many of the people who have come before council. However. I feel that it is also very evident that that has gone to a place where it's more disruptive than helpful. And so I think to do anything in terms of saying, Here how, here's how this works, maybe even something like a, a quick cheat sheet, a one pager that says, 
here's, like, by the time we've gotten to council, here's how the decisions, you know, here's oftentimes how this works, right? This is the end of the discussions in some ways, or this is the next process um, towards getting to a step. Um, but that things cannot be done with the snap of fingers. Um, and I think that the rules that have been suggested in place already uh, by other counselors are good means towards that end. I uh, also want to agree. I think uh, hybrid just makes sense. Uh, I think that's that's something we, we should do as, as quickly as practically possible. Um, and, and prioritizing the city council meetings, I think, uh, as other councilors have mentioned, uh, does also make the most amount of sense. Um, and then, you know, possibly building from there. But in terms of resources and priorities, I think starting with the council meeting. Uh, in terms of location, I know that's been brought up and discussed about a little bit. I don't know if there is any sort of a uh, logistical or technological reason why the council chambers, uh, the regular council chambers, would have a greater or lesser ability to do that than here. Um, I, hopefully, if that's an issue, I think we also have to balance um, the COVID, um, you know, which is, I just read an article today, all 50 states now have un, uncontrolled community spread. Um, and so, you know, we're kind of balancing that. This is a bigger space. We are keeping people safer in this space. I think if we institute hybrid, we may increase that because people will be able to participate without coming. Um, you know, we may be back in a hybrid as a council at some point in the next, you know, couple of months, potentially. Um, so that may be a self-solving problem for at least a little while, um, whether we like it or not. So I guess, you know, we're all kind of waiting to see what happens with that. Um, and I agree. Uh, our meetings are to be the business. There are a lot of people who have a lot of important issues to come before the council. Um, and they all deserve to have our time and attention paid to them. Um, and, uh, you know, huge, huge proponent of, of First Amendment stuff. Uh, but also recognizing that time, place, and manner are very critical to um, the, uh, you know, what we can say about when people are making comments. And so that's, that's sort of a media law 101 um, when it comes to First Amendment and free speech and, and open, openness and everything else. And so we do have an ability to talk to the issues of time, place, and manner. And I, I think in order to have the greatest amount of total public input overall, I think, is a, is a goal that we should strive for without trying to be, like, overly heavy-handed or draconic. I think that one of the, whatever we decide ultimately are, are, are essentially standing rules for public comment, they need to apply exactly the same to people who are in person as to those who comment virtually. So for example, I mean, I'm not sure what the, what the statute says, but I would like to hear a name and a city. I don't care about an address. I would just like, and I will listen to people from Davenport and Des Moines or, or whoever they are, but I think that we, as elected officials uh, representing the city of Iowa City also deserve to know whether the people who are, who are commenting are actually our voters and who actually live here in, in addition to listening to people who may be commenting who are not from here. So I think I hear, um, I think how I want to go about this is maybe just kind of breaking it down a little bit and taking it section by section in a way. Um, so seem like the easiest one based on the comments is um, there is full support for hybrid yeah. uh, maybe the question becomes do we do it in this space and I don't know if staff is uh, you know prepared to maybe talk about is this um, if it's happening here or in City Hall does it is one more advantage than the other 
Well, number one, we can do it in either location. Um, so it's not an issue of we can't do it here. We uh, have to do it back there. Um, it's more convenient uh, to do it back in the chambers. We do have the built-in infrastructure. I mean, you see kind of the, the setup that we have here. Um, and this, this is kind of bigger than hybrid, hybrid meetings, but you know, this room basically stays like this. So we've taken this room out of service for the senior center, which is okay because they don't have a ton of traffic in the building uh, throughout COVID, uh, but they'd certainly love to have that back. Um, and, and plus you can see just the, the cable operation is, a, is much more extensive in, in this particular location. So um, it's more convenient to be back, but as, as uh, uh, Councilor Harmson said, there's some COVID trade-offs because it's a tight space. And even pre-COVID, we had a lot of meetings that were over capacity in, in that uh, space. It was not an uncommon sight to see people spilled out into the, the city hall lobby. Mm -hmm. Um, I did have a question. I know that COVID is certainly <laughs> taking its own um, turn of events here uh, across the nation and even the world. When is there a point where um, we could define when it's impossible or, or impractical to meet in person? Um, or is that something we believe we would just rely on um, public health, kind of the. Yeah, and I, I would think that we should talk to Johnson County Public Health and ask what the, what what their, essentially what the what the breakers are. Where, mm -hmm. um, but if I understand the the memo uh, correctly, um, Eric and Jeff, regardless of what happens, because the governor's because of the the uh, because of what the governor's emergency proclamation currently does not say, at least four of us would need to be in person. Well, so to answer the mayor's question first as to who kind of makes the determination about whether it would be impossible or impractical to have a meeting, that, that's our call, your call uh, specifically. It was just much easier when the governor just said, you know, flat out for everyone, I'm declaring a state emergency and so forth. And, and thus, you know, everyone is relieved of the response, you know, of the restrictions of, I think it's 21.8, if I recall, uh, Iowa Code Section 21.8, I think. Um, if the mayor does, I'm sorry, if the governor uh, does not return to that kind of proclamation, then each city would have to kind of justify uh, its on its own. That is, um, obviously, if we have a hybrid meeting, uh, where we have at least four members of council physically present here, then we're fine because that's all that's required. But if the council wishes to go to a virtual meeting that is not hybrid in the sense that there's no live uh, component, uh, then we would need to justify by impossible and practical. And then I would agree with Councillor Weiner, you know, we would want to get all the best information from Johnson County Public Health and whatever, you know, CDC and, and all the other things. And then we would uh, be able to uh, at some point make the assertion we believe it's now impossible or impractical to have in-person meetings and consequently we're going to move to um, uh, entirely virtual meetings mm -hmm. okay thank you sure. so certainly i think the hybrid can take place I, I think it would probably be worth talking about um if we feel that we want to do it in the senior center or if we want to do it at City Hall, right now, at least in my, <laughs> when I look at COVID 
it's, it's spiraling out of control. Um, and so we would certainly want to make sure that the public is have the safest options to be a part. Um, is there any consideration? It, will we consider maybe thinking about um, doing it in council chambers, having maybe four counselors and we rotate? And now I know that the mayor would need to be present as well as the mayor pro tem. And then it would be rotation of two counselors. with staff present, it would be my, uh, unless we want to have staff not present on the dais and, or they can be in the audience as well. My concern wasn't necessarily the number of us that were there, but the number of, of persons, members of the community that would want to be there. As you'd said there, there were times, many times when it was packed. Uh, that was even, pre, it was obviously pre-COVID. Uh, so, and, and here it's so nicely spaced and I think people feel safer uh, coming here than they would in, in that cramped Harvard Hall. Although I'd love to get back to there, but uh, that's, that would be my concern is more the public interest. Mm -hmm. I agree with Councillor Taylor. That was my thought too, that it's as much about the size of the audience area as it is about the room of the dais. So. Mm -hmm. I mean, on this, I mean, and Councillor Thomas likes to talk about pilot programs. I mean, that, that's something we could, we could see how it works once we're, once we're in hybrid. If most of the public ends up being online, then we can reconsider, for example. Yeah, I think that makes sense. We, I, I personally would like to, to remain here, especially with the level of you know the the spread. Uh, and then, yeah, we go hybrid here and just see what happens, see how that affects things. If if we see that um, maybe we won't go over capacity at City Hall if um, if we go hybrid, just you know play it by ear. So I'm seeing not enough heads. So we'll go hybrid here and um, we'll just see how that works and my assumption is our next meeting um, is that something that city staff can look into and and um, we'll do our best to make that happen yes all right great okay so standing rules is is the other thing that um, I heard I did want to go back to something that was stated in the memo um, and I'm sure it has a citing um, but it a, a part of the discussion that we need to have is um, rules will be created to really guide um, the meetings to be free from interference or interruptions by spectators, and that is a Iowa code um, that was cited. So a part of what we need to, you know, determine is what would be stated, and then what would be the um, kind of the next step. We do have the rules. Currently, for the uh, public comment time, um, it goes until 7 p.m. Uh, unless we need to do a minimum of 30 minutes. And 
I, the mayor reserved the rights to switch from three minutes based on how many individuals desire to speak. So we do have that already present. Um, I know that this was a huge discussion that we had last year when we put this into place. And so, um, at least for me, what I would like to just mention to the council is it will be very helpful that uh, while we're, if we are, you know, gonna, if, if we're gonna end at seven, because we've given 30 plus minutes, or if I have to, you know, maybe we didn't finish with our consent agenda until 7.45 or 6.45, that I will make the announcement that we'll go 30 minutes, so at 6.15, that council would allow me to um, make that statement. And of, of course, if there is a need to extend it, um, oftentimes if someone is um, needing you know, someone to interpret for them, I automatically will extend, extend it. Um, maybe it's helpful if, you know, I just state, you know, after that, that, you know, I'll extend it, you know, two more minutes or whatever the situation may be. But um, I think it would be very helpful if council <laughs> makes sure that we're abiding by this um, because there has been times where you know, council has wanted to, ex you know, allow everybody to speak and they'll, you know, just say, let everybody speak. And I mean, if this is what we're going to do, then this is the charge that I've been given as the mayor. And I just want to make sure that we're all comfortable with the 30 minutes, the 7 p.m. I just want to check in. Is it? I don't think, I mean, for me personally, that all makes sense. Um, what I would see, I wouldn't see anything that we're stating in terms of giving an overview of how council functions, of how public comment is going to function, what the rules of the road are. None of that should take away from your prerogatives during the meeting. But I think, I, uh, but I would, I would still favor and maybe staff can help us craft a statement to be, that, that, it doesn't even have to be you. You could rotate it among counselors. That, that, that could be read at the beginning of every meeting, sort of explaining the rule, essentially the rules of the road for the meeting. N nothing taking away from your prerogatives based on who's here, how long, how many, how many commenters there are, and so forth. Okay, great. I'll just throw out a, a, a thought here um, in terms of how we communicate that, uh, Mayor. You've been, you know, very adept and successful at at uh, your recordings over certain issues, you know, your public, kind of a public, um, what's the word I'm looking for, you know, just some sort of public announcement. I'm wondering if, if like a, a pre-recording of the rules is something that you could provide, you know, it would, you know, working with City Channel, where it would just be shown at our meetings, at the, at the beginning of the meeting that, you know, Welcome to the Iowa City Community uh, City Council, and you know you would go through uh, what the rules are, uh, kind of like when you're on an airplane or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's uh, what first came to mind. That's, uh, you that's, know, it's sort of, that's here, actually a great welcome, idea, John. Uh, and you know, here's here are the rules, and it would be pre-recorded. So, it, and it would be visual. It could be something, and recorded. It could be something we put up on YouTube or whatever. Um, but you know that's that's a skill you have that I'm thinking 
maybe worthwhile trying it anyway and see, see if it's successful. I think it speaks to Councilor Weiner's comment about we do have new timers that come to council that really don't know, you know, what's happening. And sometimes they can uh, be intimidated um, or become fearful and, and not want to express, you know, their thoughts and their feelings. And so I do see, you know, whether it's a pre-recording or we read something um, in, in real time, um, I do see the necessity of doing um, of making sure that the public is aware every meeting um, and I think we can we may not need to determine that now how we do that but I do think that we need to maybe um, is there anything specific a, a specific rule I, I, I do think that we need to talk about what are next steps when um, as and I I'm trying, I'm going to try to find that code again. Um, it's right up here. I had it highlighted. So, you know, when disruption includes those who refuse to stop speaking, when there are a lot of time has ended, those that repeatedly speak off topic as determined by the mayor, and those who interrupt the meeting by shouting out and interjecting outside public comment periods. So these are the things that really refer to Iowa Code Section 21.7, um, where it says, you know, the council has the right um, to create and enforce uh, reasonable rules for the conduct of its meetings uh, to ensure those meetings are orderly and free from interference or interruption by spectators. So I mean I think it's I think it's really important that we we highlight the 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 parameters in as positive a way as we can, um, including that that requiring that people be on topic. You know, so if it's about the intersection of Scott and, and Rochester, it needs to be a comment directly about the intersection of Scott and Rochester, and that's. Um, I think basically we're just talking about asking folks to be courteous, courteous to the council, courteous to other members of the uh, audience. I think more, more pointedly, for those who engage with us with the intention of disruption, rather the intention, rather than the intention of anything substantive relating to the business of the city, you know, they probably want n nothing more than to be arrested. Um, and it may surprise no one that I'm, you know, I would not be in favor of forcibly removing someone with uh, using police from our chambers unless there was some imminent threat of violence. That's where I am. Um, I think maybe we could uh, engage other members of the public to, uh, you know, surround the person and boo at them or shush them or <laughs> remove them from the, the meeting room. Um, yeah, it really is a matter of common courtesy and we've lost that and we, we don't have good ways of engaging civility when it uh, will not be reciprocated. Well, as, as, as someone mentioned on, at least on the, on the hybrid portion of it, 
um, we will have the ability to cut mics if we need to, just sort of basically at the time limit. There. So, I, I do wonder if, if we created rules, and I hear what Councilor Burgess is saying from her perspective, if we created rules and there was someone that was disruptive, I guess my question, um, and, and it was continuous, my question would be, can we then, um, what would be, the, what would be an, uh, an option for the individual to not attend in person but virtually? Or I, I know that it can be taken to, you know, uh, they can be charged outside of the council meeting for something. <laughs> um, I just need to know what 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 options would be there. Sure. So the options would be first just removal, no arrest. Just you know, you need to go now and be trespassed for that meeting. You may not return tonight for this meeting you know see a next you know meeting if if they desire um and then beyond that as you say if they were to come back in after being trespassed then you know they could be charged or obviously we could have um you know folks at the door to prevent uh re-entry although again you have to make a political decision about if you want to do that but if there um, are continued violations uh, they can be banned in increasing uh, periods of time that is you know a one meeting ban that kind of thing and moving forward you would certainly never be in a position of saying you can never uh, attend a city council member or a meeting again anything like that um, and it, of course it has to be responsive to actual disruptive behavior not just the anticipation of disruptive behavior just actual disruptive behavior uh, that kind of thing. But here's, I guess I'll kind of address the flip side of the coin too, is if you have folks who are violating the rules, um, sometimes blatantly, and um, the council takes no steps, then it's difficult to tell other members of the public who wish to comment and are doing so out of good faith uh, that they need to adhere to the rules too. And in theory, there could even be discrimination claims, you know, about either based on the content of their speech versus what someone else is saying, or perhaps they're a member of another protected class. I mean, the real key here is you got to swing a level sword. You know, whatever your rules are, you really need to mean it. You need to enforce it um, against all people um, equally. Because again, I think your intent is that you want to hear maximum public engagement from people who wish to actually uh, discuss matters of importance or uh, to either them or, or matters of importance uh, that are on the city council agenda, but not uh, purposely disruptive comments or comments that are purposefully violating your rules. I mean, there is a sweet spot there, I think. And, and just because, you know, you're going to impose rules and mean to enforce them doesn't mean you're not encouraging public comment. In fact, I think the opposite is true. I think you would encourage more members of the public to come out and speak to you um, if they knew they didn't have to kind of wait through hours and hours of um, disruptions or the th possibility of being shouted down by other members of the public who are present, that kind of thing. So I guess my point is there are a, a number of kind of intermediate steps that the council could choose to take 
instead of just hauling people off in handcuffs, you know, at the first offense or, or something like that. I mean, in, in some places, the councils have adjourned at least temporarily, no? Uh, I'm sorry? I think there have been, not here, but in some circumstances, councils have adjourned at least temporarily. Yeah, there have been circumstances in which they've taken a break to restore order. Um, you know, I mean, I think Des Moines, in speaking with the Des Moines city attorney, they had an occasion where they had, I think, 10 to 15 police officers come in and they had to clear the room and, and so forth. And, and, and obviously no one wants that. Um, but, you know, circumstances were present such that the council there felt like they needed to do that so that they could engage in the, you know, public business that they were elected to conduct. Mm -hmm. What I've been hearing sort of as a pattern emerging is that it is about finding that right balance. And I completely agree with um, the notion of saying we want the rules in place in order to be able to encourage people to speak um, and to participate on matters that matter to them, that matter to the city, um, and that we need to figure out the right ways to be able to allow maximum people to be engaged. Um, and that's one part of the sweet spot. The other, and I would agree completely with Councilor Burgess, is that I'm very, very wary of arrests um, because I, I think that that swings the pendulum too far in terms of saying we want orderly discussion, um, but I think that that could be problematic. I'll just leave it at that um, for a number of reasons. So I, I, I like what I'm hearing about that there needs to be sort of a standard sense of the rules and I do think that the mayors um, and what council previous council had worked so hard towards saying here's what makes sense but then really we need to abide by it consistently clearly um, and I go back again in a really practical sense of like for those who are either new to coming to council or haven't been in a while or just even say, I'm not sure what's going on because of this new space. There could be any reasons, any number of reasons, but to have something that is done uh, in, in advance of the meeting, every meeting, to explain here's how this works, and to a certain extent, perhaps, here's why this works. Um, so at any rate, I, I'm sure that I'll, what I'm doing is just simply summarizing what a number of people have already said here, but um, it, it feels like we just really have to maintain an awareness of how to keep that balance in terms of encouraging people who want to speak, whether, you know, we're not here to just hear praise. Nobody comes onto council to expect that. Mm -hmm. um, but, but there are nuggets of things that we need to hear, um, and there are details that we need to hear, but we need to be able to allot the time and the, the time for myriad voices to speak on all the issues that are on the agenda. So. So what I would like to, and I appreciate everyone's comments, um, what I would like to know is <laughs> how are we planning um, or what would be the proposal since I, I'm hearing from two right now, no police interference, but how do we propose that we will, you know, regain order um, so that we have meetings that are free from interference or interruptions by spectators, as well as 
people stop when the mayor has stated your time is up. To clarify, at least I had heard Councilor Burgess talking about arrests, and that was what I was referring to. Arrests? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I don't want it to get to a... None of us wanted to get to that point. A police situation, yeah. but um, at all. But yeah. it may be that... Oh, I'll leave it there. Okay. And I think that the question really is, what will be the... What is the tool that we have? What is... If, if, if you don't... If the disorderly conduct continues, what will we do consistently? At least for me, if we're, you know, thinking in the meeting, it is happening. Um, I can't really, you know, redirect in the behavior. We certainly could do, um, you know, a warning to the individual outside of council, an official warning. Um, the next time it happens, you know, we can go through and really spell out was, you know, some of the things that we're discussing here today. Then the next time they, it is performed, the, we go through the meeting, and then we do a suspension. If they attend the meeting, that one meeting, and do the same thing, then we will have outside of this meeting a trespass order. I had a question as far as maybe Eric could answer this is like if you as the mayor were to you know do your gavel and just say you are out of order you need to leave the podium or you need to quit speaking uh, and also talking about Des Moines and them uh, uh, temporarily adjourning uh, we can't do that every time every meeting that would be ridiculous I mean it, it, if, if it's really totally a disruptive uh, meeting at the time I can see that and we could very easily uh, adjourn from from the room for temporary but it's not a long time action and, and I agree also I, I would not want a police presence I, I don't think that's helpful at all what I'm at least from my purview I'm, I'm suggesting that even though the mayor will you know kind of redirect give warning out of order that it is going to you know we don't, I, I wouldn't have to um, become in a confrontation I just state you know if, if you continue you will be cited for trespass whatever step we're on and then it's something that will take place outside of this meeting so every comment after that if they keep getting up at least from my perspective I just give them their two three minutes and and this happened we'll deal with it after the meeting because we have the entire public that we're dealing with that we need to make sure that they have opportunities to get up as well as people that is going to be hybrid I don't I don't I don't have a good answer other than um, aside from the um, cutting mics both here and there obviously voices carry and we can we can uh, and we can still hear voices at a certain point um, I if people are out of order they we need to be tell them they're out of order and um, and 
the, the, this, the part of the memo that struck me that I also think we need to put in our, somehow into our intro, is the, the, the notion of what the requirement, the actual requirements of state law are, uh, and that because we want to hear from people, we are, we are going, we are, we are far exceeding the state law requirements to sort of, that's probably not stated that well, but basically to frame what we're doing um, for, for the public in addition to explaining the rules of the road. Mayor, could we also clarify, I think Eric had brought this up once, the difference between public comment time and public hearing time. There seems to be some confusion on that. Sure, so public hearings are uh, those uh, um, opportunities for the public to uh, comment to you that are statutorily required. Um, the memo mentions a number of circumstances um, in which that takes place, and that's the occasion in which the mayor bangs his gavel and says he, you know, he's opening a public hearing, and then bangs his gavel and says he's closing public hearing. Those are required. We need to do those. Um, everything else uh, we do not need to do, um, and it's just been, you know, by the grace of this council that the public can be heard on, for example, every single other item, uh, not on the consent agenda. Um, so that's the biggest difference. Am I answering your question? Yes, but, okay. but regarding that particular item that we're on where it says public hearing, say a rezoning or a sewer line or something of that nature, that topic is what we're required to allow public comment on or pu the public hearing. Right. Correct? Yep. And at least today, I don't think anyone is um, suggesting that we not allow the opportunities for public comment after each agenda item or during each agenda item or during the open public comment set time. Um, I just know that we have all witnessed in real time where the mayor has stated they're out of order. The mayor has tried to redirect, ask for compliance. And again, Mayor Pro Tem Salee, her words resonate with me. Um, and if we don't have something in the toolbox where, if we think we can just cite these codes, which um, disruptors know, then we will not be able to conduct the business to the best of our abilities. Having an hour and a half or hour 20 minutes so far that I've noted, added to an agenda where there are still people in the community that want to speak on a topic. Um, council also has the ability, we need to be able to focus in on the items that are before us. You know, and these are, these are real, you know, these are huge decisions that we make, no matter what it is. So that's where I am. I feel like we have to either, we're just gonna really let things continue the way that they are, or we're gonna have to have some consequences. And I propose that we first time do the warning in the meeting, send a letter afterward, if we can find there, 
address. <laughs> um, hand them a letter. State it in public comment. Second time it happens, note that they um, will be need to leave. They won't leave. They will continue. And because they won't leave, I think that's what we give a trespass for at least one meeting, or we say you, you're not allowed to go to the next meeting or something. And then if you come to the next meeting, you can come to meetings after that. Um, but if you come to the next meeting, you'll be considered to be trespassing. And then if they trespass, they trespass. And then that would be a matter for uh, law enforcement. I just don't know how we can get beyond where we are today if we do not have some clear consequences created. I, I agree. I mean, there needs to be, it's how we define this boundary or respond to, to incidents, you know, is reminding me a little bit of what we've gone through on our policing matters where, you know, we've tried to identify uh, other, other means of community engagement short of bringing a sworn officer into the picture. And I'm, I'm wondering aloud if, if, um, if a similar approach could be taken here. And I, I don't know what that translates to necessarily, but I'm wondering if, you know, we hired some new staff, new personnel to address issues which were not criminal behavior, but disruptive behavior, shall we say, um, who are more trained in engaging with individuals in a way which would help de-escalate rather than escalate that, that interaction. Um, but this is, uh, surely there, there must be ways in which we can try to capture what Councillor Burgess is, is trying to get at, which I, I, I tend to agree with. I don't, I don't want to, I want this to be done in a way which is civil, the response is civil and respectful while at the same time address your concerns. There clearly need to be, we need to have a clear response to should the behavior persist. Um, I'm, I'm personally just not clear what, you know, I, I hear what you're saying in terms of, well, we're gonna issue warnings and so on and so forth, but um, I guess. Hopes that it wouldn't get to punitive or Right, I know, I understand. Pants. Sort of trying to sort of create a, you know, a progressive discipline approach. Um, and I'm, I'm just asking the question if there might be other ways of, of doing a progressive uh, approach short of bringing in law enforcement. Do we have civil infraction authority for that kind of behavior? None springs to mind. I can, I mean, I don't, I don't think it would be a nuisance action or anything, but I, I could certainly explore that. So just, it, so it wouldn't be a, a criminal matter, but it would still be something enforceable as clearly a violation of the city's law, which I think that's what we're talking about. That's why we're citing uh, code when we're going through these, these boundaries and these parameters. But 
you know, I personally, again, just for myself, draw that line on the, the criminal and law enforcement engagement. But if there's a, a civil means to still have some consequences, I'd entertain that. So I guess the, um, I guess at least the question that remains now is, do we want to learn um, from legal in a future meeting what that looks like? Because I don't think you have the answer right now. I'm sorry, I don't. <laughs> uh, but I, I guess I would, as I'm quickly thinking a little bit more about it, uh, I'm not sure why we couldn't create such a thing, which would be an ordinance change, of course. Um, but uh, I suspect that that might be possible. I, I think that's an aside. I mean, I think the rest of the rules that you've discussed and so forth would need to be implemented. That's just a resolution. Um, so that's a single meeting. Um, but I can, you know, concurrently explore uh, uh, Councillor Burgess's idea about a, a civil infraction. I also think, Mayor, that point that you had of making sure that the council is is supporting you when that, you know, sort of when we, we get to that line is important. I don't know the best way to kind of um, codify that for ourselves. Like if there's a, you know, particular script that, that you have that's very, very clear to the people who are speaking and to us, like, look, you've hit the line for sure. Um, because my experience in those moments has been, you know, it is kind of flexible and we've you know, tried to accommodate different ways. And I think it would be helpful if we had some like, oh, okay, here's the, some some signal so that we understand and can be unified in that, yeah, 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 this is the boundary. Mm -hmm. And maybe that is the, the gaveling, you know, mm -hmm. the most obvious. Yeah, and hmm. I, at least what comes to mind for me is, um, you know, if 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 one and if we have someone that is continuously coming up, you know, two three times, that's kind of the where it is not on topic. That's kind of the trigger, you know. So we can probably identify what is that trigger to be consistent. Also, you know, sometimes we've had. Um, individuals although I think a lot of individuals if they know they'll 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 have a presentation that's five minutes and they'll have two people present sometimes that's not the situation and so um, even though I try to you know continuously talk at least you know in the beginning um, maybe that could be a part of you know they do it that one time it's not a a, a, a frequent occurrence um, I mean, they would just get the the warning, I, but but I do agree that it needs to be um, very consistent as to what we do. Um, at least for me, just thinking about it on the on the in the moment, it would be an individual thing. So if an individual. Um, you know, in any two consecutive meetings is going over time, you know, that's where, you know, we can put some of these parameters in place. 
if an individual is going up tw two times or more and talking about items not on the topic, that can be the trigger as well. That brings up a question to me, and I hesitated to even bring it up, but what about those folks we've had that say, I give my three minutes to, to, to this person, so that, that person can have six minutes. Is, are we going to allow that? What, what are we going to do about those situations? And, and at least for me in those situations, I, per, personally, I think someone could give their time up, at, at least in my mind. So if someone has come and said, you know, they gave 30 seconds, and they're going to give the remainder of their time to the next person and add time. At least for me, it just seemed like there's going to be a, presenta a presentation by someone that might be more able to um, articulate in um, that short amount of time, you know, the needs for those two individuals. Um, and in those moments, I have stated, I think and I, I can only recall one, where I've kind of combined the time, you know, but. Okay. I, you know, there's certainly situations where one can't communicate fully one's, uh, what one wants to say to the council in three minutes. So I think there, it's, it's a judgment call, but it does seem that I, I certainly can recall PNZ meetings where I might himself have been in the in the public comment period and, and asking for more than three minutes. I mean, there are just certain certain types of issues which three minutes is just not sufficient. So it's, I think, particularly with those things where you're in a public hearing circumstance, you know, some flexibility in terms of what the limits are um, is important. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the challenge there is because it, it becomes where individuals that typically attend our meetings or have some knowledge of our meetings, um, they really do know how to give it to someone else, whereas other individuals, you know, they may just continue on. Um, I don't know if anyone has any, I mean, we can certainly maybe edit the words, because currently it says the mayor reserves the right to reduce the three-minute period based on the number of individuals desiring to speak. Um, I don't really want to get in the area of individually extending time. I think in certain circumstances, like I mentioned, if someone says I'm going to you know, give my time to them, you know, do we, we're not going to let three people, you know, but I, I think there could be some, you know, discretion, discretionary language, um, but it needs to, you know, I just want to make sure that legal would be comfortable with whatever that discretionary extension language will be. Yeah, I mean, again, kind of going back to the idea of swinging a level sword, I mean, as long as, you know, you can distinguish it in a content-neutral way, then then I think you're okay. 
as opposed to, I don't like you, the speaker. I don't like what you're saying to us, you know, that kind of thing. And, and know that those allegations may come whether they're true or not. And, and so that's something we would just have to be prepared to identify. I'm giving this person extra time because whatever that is, um, you would probably want to articulate it at Absolutely. the time. Yeah. So I think we can probably deal with that, um, that Councilor Thomas just mentioned. Um, to a certain degree and if we we can work on language a little bit and propose it outside of this meeting um, I do want to kind of wrap up this topic but what are we thinking for so we hybrid meeting we're gonna go um, hopefully next meeting um, standing rules so um, maybe we can work off-site if Council gave, um, if council is comfortable with that, where um, I would propose um, at least three of us kind of work on this, some language with staff, maybe pull a few things from experience. I think it would be great to have uh, Mayor Pro Tem, and if I would be so direct, I would. I personally would like to invite Councilor Weiner if she would accept to be on on that in that conversation. If Council is okay with that, and then we'll kind of work with some stuff, work with staff, and I think at least what we'll be pointing out is what are some of the 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 the, the key things that we want scripted, and then bring it back to. A future meeting that sounds good I, I wanted to add one thing that uh, on the topic that we haven't really elaborated on and that's other so much and that's other interactions with the public um, especially in the COVID era there there's we could give con I just wanted to throw out there we could give consideration to doing a few uh, virtual listening posts um, and figure out when it would be good to schedule those so that people don't have to come. They can talk to us about anything they want essentially at those and get that, give, give sort of a, get back to a sense of normalcy even though we're not in person. I'm seeing some uh, not enough heads and I know that uh, Council Thomas talked about town hall meetings. Um, maybe listening posts, virtual options or even hybrid. Well, I don't know if a hybrid option would be really possible if we're going into certain community you know certain places but because people don't have like the the fancy tv and cameras and you know it becomes a little challenging to hear but um why don't we uh, if i see some shaking of heads for a listening post uh, maybe we can go ahead and try some do we want to go virtual first or in person virtual let's see virtual at this point seeing some virtual We'll we'll try it for the first. We'll go quarterly, and then if we need to adjust, we can. And with that being said, we should probably identify who's going to be the first two. <laughs> I signed up for one with Mayor Pro Tem Salee that we never got to do because of COVID. <laughs> so I would love the chance. All right, <laughs> who wants to partner with Councilor Burgess? I I would be happy to. Great. There we have it. Unless, all right. We'll we'll start there. We'll go and collect the next two 
after we kind of get a report of how that went. All right, let's move on. Anything else that we need to do with the um, meeting protocols? Okay. All right, we'll continue the discussion at, at, a, at our next work session. We're gonna go on to info packet discussion December, oh, sorry. We're gonna go to clarification of agenda items. I'll just note I'll be recusing myself from the uh, South District SMID again, Mayor. Right. And actually, I just got um, advice from uh, the city attorney that I do not need to recuse myself because I'm just a resident there and I have not been involved in anything, nor do I have property concerns or anything like that. So I will be a voting member on it. Okay. I just wanted to let people know that I do live in the South District. I um, campaigned uh, with um, as a proponent for the uh, SMED, uh, but it's uh, there's nothing that's blocking me from ethically voting. Okay. Anything else from the formal agenda? All right, December 16th, info packet. Um, I hope we can spend a few minutes on uh, the recommendation from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that's in their December 2nd minutes, which is IP5 of the December 16th meeting. Um, I think this ties into the few, maybe a future work session topic, hopefully, but I'd like to just get us started on nailing down the parameters for uh, direct payments to individuals um, from our emergency allotment of ARPA funds. I think it's been a while. Uh, last conversation we had about that was when we had our joint meeting with the supervisors in November, I think. So I think it would be good for us to commit to nailing down what Iowa City is willing to do. So I kind of have uh, thoughts on that if people are willing to engage in that a little bit now in relation to this recommendation or however you'd like to proceed, Mayor. Yeah, I think, so, at least for me personally, I think we can have a discussion on it. Um, the, um, the, I guess the question that we'll have to consider is the county and where they are, which we don't, I mean, we kind of know what where they are, but I feel like we would need their official stance so that we're not just interpreting um inappropriately where they are yeah and i guess you know i think we have a few different options in how to approach it and my my thinking is that we consider um articulating our priorities like let's say there's several different things we've talked about a dollar amount which needs to be decided as far as an overall allocation um, at our joint meeting, we said we want to work with the county. We want to have an administration of kind of one program, right. I believe. We've decided that. So what is Iowa City's commitment to that program? And then how? what does that mean as far as how the funds are dispersed? 
I am hesitant or I would urge us to consider not waiting for the county to fully articulate what their logistical, you know, sort of their parameters as well as the logistics of how the program will work and that we um, decide on our priorities and an overall dollar amount and then our priorities for any things like uh, eligibility or, you know, dollar amount per person, that kind of thing and communicate that with the total allocation with the understanding that the county will still be the ones implementing the final sort of rules for the program. My concern is that if we wait until they decide exactly what it's going to look like, then we're coming back here in February or March and saying, well, we, we kind of like this, but we didn't like that. And well, I'm, it's too bad they didn't take this into account. Whereas it, you know, we could articulate those things now and with an understanding it'd be priorities rather than strict conditions for the allocation of funds. So if I understand you correctly, it's not that you're wanting to move without the county. Right. It's really to kind of, let's say what we're financially going to do and put our priorities there. At least for me, what would make sense right now, since we um, don't fully know um, all the parameters of how many individuals we will be talking about, I think um, we can, at least personally, I think that we can state that the city will, you know, make up the difference for our residents or individuals within, that live in the city of Iowa City up to $2,000. Um, now, that could be 600, that could be a thousand because they haven't made their final plan. And, and, and I think a part of it is we wanna make sure that the community knows that we are committed to this. And so we might be taking, uh, we're, we're moving forward with some unknowns, but I also feel like these unknowns are within um, a financial obligation that we could make, you know, we can say you know, each individual dollar amount, you know, up to 2000 for Iowa City, and we will make up the difference. At least that would be my take, if that's what you're wanting to get at. You know, and I'm sorry to interject. I, I thought that it was going to be a little bit of a clarification of what was going on in the minutes and so forth. And I, I think if we're going to start talking about numbers and so forth of what cities going to agree to do, that that's probably not enough notice. Um, on the agenda item here tonight. And so I'm hesitant to allow too much discussion about what individual council members would allow for dollar amounts. Sorry. No, I, I understand that. I'm not interested in talking dollar amounts. I just, I, I, I just wanted, to, if, I, if it's legitimate to say that what, one of the things that I hear Councilor Berger saying is essentially in, in the next meeting, what we need to do is articulate the things that we want the county to take, that we suggest the county take into consideration without mandating it so that we can actually influence their discussion when they're putting together their program rather than coming in afterwards. So then go right ahead, please. Oh, I was just going to say, I, uh, um, I very much appreciate, uh, the idea that whatever we can do to get this moving, to get people the help they need. I know from the, the minutes of the TRC meeting, um, you know, they had hoped that we could get something into people's pockets, you know, by Christmas which would have been great, didn't happen uh, for, for lots of reasons. But if we can do something now to help get that process moving, I think that's, that's a laudable goal that we should be working towards. So and if that's the mechanism, then I would, I would like to see some 
you know, on, on a future agenda or whatever. So we have support for this to go on uh, a future, well, a future work session, and we'll put it on the next work session. Does, is that agreeable? Yeah, I just, uh, the, the county has expressed to us at a staff level that they're still working towards a March distribution uh, goal deadline. So uh, there's a lot that has to happen uh, on the county side to get a, a program approved and in place. I, I think if you don't do it at your next agenda, the window might be closing or you might just need to do it individually with your elected peers in Johnson County so I would suggest the next work session um, but also want to remind you that you're entering the budget season and historically a lot of work session time has been taken up by budget matters but we can cross that bridge when we get there okay all right we'll have it on the next one any other items from December 16th I'd just like to note uh, IP, uh, I believe it was number two, the letter from, from HUD, uh, Consolidated Annual Performance Evaluation Report uh, for the year 2020. And I'd like to thank the, our NDS department, and I don't see Tracy Haichu in the audience today, but uh, she and her, is she there? She's oh, there, there she too. is, yes. <laughs> thank you, Tracy. You and your department do amazing work and always keeping those marginalized folks in our population in mind when it comes to housing needs. and. And so if anybody had any doubts that we as a city had been taking strides towards increasing the availability of housing uh, for these marginalized individuals, you need to read, the, read this report. Uh, of course, they described at one point as our efforts as satisfactory. Uh, so I'd like to see that improve a little bit more, but I, I do think it was, it was a good report. And thank you, Tracy. I, just, I actually read that with you know, a lot of um, kudos to, to you and to the work that has been done. I mean, to look and to see that we overdid the target by 270% and helped 1,300 people with housing um, and affordability and eviction prevention is really tremendous. And um, I know it's more work for staff, but I know also that, you know, there's a Facebook page and like just to pull out that paragraph about what actually the city accomplished in terms of its work towards affordable housing, I think could be a relatively easy and fantastic way to be able to help inform the public without having to wade through a whole report. But it's right there to say, this is these are the numbers of what we have been able to accomplish because I think that that is also something of a black box. Um, so anyway, I just wanna say kudos, but it also struck me, I'm like, man, you could just take that and pull it up on, on social media um, and it's easily digestible and um, so anyway but man congratulations that was a really cool report to read yeah, and I, I agree and I but I think the satisfactory is just like their bureaucratic speak mm -hmm. I don't think they have any other <laughs> I don't think they have any greater they, 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 they can they can tell you what a great job you did and that's like and it's satisfactory, satisfactory. Yeah. that's, that's yeah. as far as they go <laughs> mm -hmm. that's that's exactly right and and uh, Megan to your point that is in the works um, we just decided to push that past the holidays oh. because of the uh, for obvious reasons utterly understandable I just hesitated to be like here staff do more stuff mm -hmm. but I think it could be an easy cool thing to do anything else December 22nd info packet I just wanted to mention IP2, um, which discusses the, the grant to the Center for, for Worker Justice to, to help fund, for, to fund a, an interpreter to help get some of this money out for a, certain time, for a certain period of time, and I'm very happy to see that. Mm 
I was also uh, pleased to see the allocation uh, of funds to provide the temporary bilingual staff. And, and I want to thank uh, our mayor pro tem is no longer on our council, so I'll just I'll speak to it. Uh, thank the CWJ uh, for all they do in our community uh, to help the marginalized members of our community. And uh, we I think speaking for myself, we often take uh, for granted the ease in which we can read things in English uh, and often forget that there are individuals uh, who might struggle with being able to even fill out a, a simple uh, but very important form, and this is going to be very helpful for them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Awesome. Anything else from December 22nd? And we will go on to um, December 30th. nothing I, I probably did want to make mention since in um, IP um, December 16th and December 22nd since we're talking about housing um, that um, tonight at 5 p.m. which it has already happened that the shelter is open so that is very good to know anything else on December 30th Council, well, we just did uh, <laughs> council appointments for boards and assignments. Does any of our uh, uh, previous or continuing counselors have any updates? All right, great. If none, we're adjourned until 6 p.m.